morning, class. I guess some of you haven't gotten the message that if you sit up front, you get an A. You haven't heard that yet? All of you, you're all prepared. Did you, did you study your lesson today? Galatians chapter 5. What am I supposed to do when you come? You're not prepared. See, you're supposed to come prepared. What I do is I give you a quiz when you first get here. And then we go through the material, and then later there's a final exam. And then we really know. You know, the good thing is I don't have to give those exams anymore. You know who gives the exams? And I don't have to put anything in a grade book or any of that stuff because I am now retired. Yes. And that doesn't mean a retread. I've been retired, not retreaded, okay? I'm not a retread. Um, I'm anxious to look uh, to, to share with you today. I had a great first service, and that was practice. This is the real thing, okay? So you get the real thing. And I'm hoping that everything is going to be uh, understandable to you. I, I'm trying to work with a PowerPoint here. I'm really not very good at uh, using clickers. Um, you know, the clicker for our garage door does not work. The clicker for my car does not open it up. You know, there's just something about clickers. And Tony's helping me out here, but, uh, you know, my wife had to tell me last time that I needed to move the PowerPoint. So do you see this first picture? Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that gorgeous? Well, the title of today's message, I don't know if you could see it on that header in your insert. It's a little hard to see those sometimes for me, but uh, there it is. It's called Milk or Meat or Metamucil. I never thought in my life that I would ever be using Metamucil. Uh, and, but I'm finding that there are times when thing, it helps move things along, you know, and uh, uh, it's just really important at my age to, <laughs> to be comfortable at all times. So uh, uh, anyway, well, why did I call it meat or, or milk, meat, or metamucil? Uh, well, first of all, we're studying a passage in Galatians that is one of the toughest ones that Pastor Tim could give me, and I'm still a little bit angry at him for, <laughs> for giving me this passage because there are others that are just wonderful. I mean, there are things that I'd really like to do. I mean, he gets the next section in Galatians 5. Oh, I would give anything to be teaching on that because that's, you know, about the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is... is my inspiration. I mean, I love the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and He's going to take some time to do that too. And I got—I get stuck with six verses on uh, tough stuff. This is really a tough passage, and I'm going to show you why. Um, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to read a couple of passages uh, from, uh, first of all, from Hebrews. This is in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 11. I don't have it on the PowerPoint. 
Well, I do. It's the second one there. Do you see it? It says, concerning him, that's Jesus, we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, become a, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. In other words, people who have moved on from milk to meat, have their, even their, their natural senses have become trained to discern what's good and what's bad. Otherwise, we have the Holy Spirit within us who gives us wisdom and knowledge about, about knowing what's good and what's evil. I mean, there was one time when I was walking around a fair and all of a sudden I just really felt uneasy and I looked up at, over here and there's a fortune teller. You say, well, I go to fortune tellers all the time. We need to talk, okay? But there is just something spiritual that you understand and know as a result of walking in the Spirit day by day. And milk is for baby Christians. They're, it's for people who are just coming into the Lord. They're, they're just beginning to understand the things of the Spirit. I mean, you talk to them about, like Nicodemus, born again? you got to be kidding. How do I get back into my mother's womb and be born well, I've got to tell you, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again so you can understand this stuff. And there are things about, about the walk in the Lord that we don't understand until we grow, until we feed on the milk of the Word of God that teaches us these basic principles of God's Word. Well, what is meat then? I've got to tell you, I had chicken and uh, barbecued ribs yesterday at Kurt's Barbecue, and that was just the best. And if you like meat, some of you vegans in here, that's fine. But I got to tell you, I just, I just love uh, barbecued ribs. And I don't have it a lot because it's expensive, but there's just something about, about meat. I saw a guy with a T-shirt on at the Little League game yesterday, and he says, and it says, we'll hunt for food. You know, the signs that say, we'll work for food. This guy says, I'll hunt for food. And that's, you know, that's uh, something I didn't grow up with. I was not a hunter. My dad wasn't a hunter. I never shot a gun before in my life till I came here. And that was just, you know, 22. Uh, but uh, there's just something about, about meat that is ingrained in, in, our, in our lives and in our culture. Uh, and and uh, there's something about eating the meat of the word that distinguishes us. Because what does it say? If we are just feeding on milk, then we're baby Christians, and we can't teach anybody else. You ever know a little baby? Yeah, I know they did sometimes. We had babies that have their bottle, you know, Similac, Infamil. Uh, they don't really want to share their bottle with another baby. Now, sometimes they do, but... That isn't too ordinary. No, this is mine. This is mine. Uh, and there's something about little babies with milk that that is just so adorable. But the time comes when you gotta you gotta grow up to to 
strained carrots at least. You've got to move on to, to something that's, that's at least strained and mixed up and stuff so that you can eat it. I just heard that the, today my daughter yesterday, she's in Knoxville area, she was sitting and eating uh, dinner, I guess, and all of a sudden she choked on something and she could not breathe. I didn't even know this. She could not breathe. And my son-in-law, who used to be a, a paramedic in the, in the service, he came over and, you know, he puts his arm around her and <laughs> goes like that. And she's able then to finally expel and breathe. But you see, you try to give meat to a little baby, and what happens? They'll chew it for four hours, and then it comes out. Isn't that right? Did I mess you up, John? Okay. Uh, they just can't chew it. They don't have teeth. They don't have a larynx that, or esophagus that's big enough. And, and so it's just wasted. So you have to grow up until you can feed on the, the meat of the word of, the God, of God. And how do you know the difference? You could ask yourself, well, I am, uh, am I on milk or am I on meat? Well, Paul says the difference. And the Hebrew says, well, let me read it in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, this is the first one up there. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. You couldn't, she couldn't get it down, so he had to do the Heimlich. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were still are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Now, the Corinthian church uh, was in trouble also because they were babies, he says, your babies. But I, and I can tell your babies because you've got too much of this going on. Instead of this, it's this. You know what I'm saying? Too much backbiting. I got to tell you, you know, I didn't include this in the first service, but I'm just speaking as under the Lord here. I've been involved in Little League a little bit lately. And you've been involved in Little League or you know what goes on at these games and with the parents and the... I'll tell you, I've been in many churches with strife and division and so on, but it's nothing like Little League. <laughs> i got to tell you. And it's a wonder these kids can play at all because in the background there's this guy sitting over here and this guy sitting over here and this guy hates this guy and this guy hates this guy and they're shouting at each other. I mean, it's a mess. And some churches end up like this. I've been in them. I've been pastor of some of them. And I just, uh, I just... I just throw up my hands. I mean, God, give me a backdoor revival here, will you? I mean, we need to get rid of some of these people. And, of course, I can't go up and sit to them and say, sorry, you're out of here. That doesn't work. It doesn't literally, but it doesn't in church, right? So there's something about being on milk that's fine for a season. And then you're on meat, and as long as you can handle it, and it shows because you can teach other people. What is your ministry in the body of Christ. Well, I'm just supposed to be sit quietly in church and not disrupt. No. If you're, on, if you're feeding on the Word of God and eating meat, that means you're supposed to be teaching other people how to grow up in the Lord, how to be little babies and grow up into the Lord. And I don't mean just necessarily teaching out of a book somewhere. You need to get in the Word yourself so you can teach the Word yourself. <laughs> yeah, if you can't do that, Go stay with the milk. 
But sooner or later, you got to grow up. Now, i got to say, in Galatians, we get a totally different tone here. You know, I, uh, as a literature teacher, I get into some of these um, definitions of, of literary, literary uh, figures and so on. Um, one of the first things I do in, in my literature class is we talk about the ways that human beings over the, the millennia came to actually finalize in writing what, what their words meant. Because otherwise, if I say something and he's not recording it back there and you're not, you know, Facebooking me here, it's gone. It's over. And you try to remember, what did he say? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but I remember that cartoon he had in his PowerPoint. That was great. I don't remember what he said. But you see, if we don't write it down, we forget it. Right? And that's one of the things human beings did. Aren't you glad the Apostle Paul wrote this down? What would we do? I don't know. Well, this is what I think the Lord's saying. How do we know that's true? That's true. We have to discern and judge what's what's true and what's false in in, in our in the teaching that we get. And so, uh, one of the things I do in my classes is we we analyze. And I ask the students, do you know what it means to analyze in the? Um, I say, analyze this, analyze this. They don't know what it, they don't know what that means. I had one student in my class. This was ages ago. He was in tenth grade or so. It's when I was teaching high school, and and he came in and he comes and sits down. Goes body language. You know, that's one of the ways we communicate. Your kids use body language. How about you? Do you use body language with your kid? You know. The old raised eyebrow. Uh, he comes in and he sits there like this. And I said, well, he's the only kid there yet. And so I said, what's the matter? Because I thought maybe he'd be bullied or something. He says, nothing. Come on. You're, you're lying to me now. I know there's something wrong. What's wrong? It's nothing. Do you want me to drag it out of you? This was before waterboarding, but I'm thinking it might have worked, you know. Uh, It's just these stupid poems that we have to read in this class. Oh, that makes me feel good, you know, these stupid poems. Uh, Stupid poems. What, What do you mean, stupid poems? It's just these poems. They're they're stupid. They're just stupid. I said, well, did you read them for today? No. You're saying they're stupid, but you haven't read them yet? No, because they're stupid. <laughs> See, that's a circular argument. That doesn't work. Well, one of the things we do is we analyze, and that's what we're going to do with the passage today. And I'm going to kind of treat this like a, an English lesson, because that's what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatians. You guys aren't even babies anymore. I can't even give you milk. I can't even give you milk. I'm going to have to talk to you like you're just not even born again anymore. And and I don't know if you're if you're aware. If you were uh, with Pastor Tim a few weeks ago, he was in Galatians chapter three. If you want to turn there, I'm just going to look at one verse. Galatians chapter three, verse fifteen. Uh, this is a passage that's easily skipped over. I was glad that Pastor Tim called it an analogy because that's what it is. 
It says, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. And then he goes on and talks about uh, uh, the, uh, the two uh, sons that Abraham had and so on and the different ones, the son of a slave woman, the other is the son of the free woman and so on, and how this analogy shows the reason why we need to be free in the Lord to, to receive his word without just following rules and regulations. You see, that's human nature. If you're 10 or 20 or 30 or 100 pounds overweight, what do you do? Well, somebody comes up and says, well, I got a good diet for you. Oh, that's what we want to do, right, is follow a diet. Because what does that mean? It means I can eat this, I can't eat this, I can eat this, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, and I can't eat anything except what is good for me, and then I hate it. Right? Don't you love being on a diet? And you know what? I don't think God wants us to be on diets. I think he wants us to, to walk in the spirit and be fed of the spirit and eat uh, intuitively what he gives us by his spirit. We know what's good for us and what isn't. Now, your kids might not. We have to teach them because they're babies. You give them baby food. But we should be able to know the difference between good and evil. And i got to tell you, I love Dunkin' Donuts. Anybody love Dunkin' Donuts? Oh, I think they had Dunkin' Donuts last week in, in the basement down there. And my grandchildren went in there, and they were, oh, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, man, just one? It's hard to get them to just eat one? you got to be kidding. And if you go home and you got the whole box... Hey, watch out, because you might be having to go back to Dunkin' Donuts again and get another box for what you were going to take to work or whatever. No, I've lost my train of thought. That happens. But but what is it we're trying to do here? It's it's showing us that we need to be mature and grow up and not just be milk. Now, the Galatian church, though, was not even acting like they were... They were Christians, like they were born again, like the Holy Spirit was operating in them because they had rejected the gospel that Paul had preached to them. And what was that gospel? It wasn't be saved and then follow hundreds of rules and regulations the way the Jews had to do. You know, the reason why God gave the law, it says, it was to show us, it was like a a tutor or a taskmaster, and it was only to show us that we couldn't do it. We couldn't follow the diet. We, we can't even follow a diet, much less all the rules and regulations that God gave the, the Israelites in the book of Leviticus and so on. Can any of you even read that book without cringing? No, I, I got five verses into that, and I decided to go on. Okay, right? Because it's not a very happy place when you start reading all the rules and regulations. And this is how our government works, by the way. I'm not, I'm not getting onto that. But, you know, they pass a law, and it's not just a couple of pages. It's thousands of pages. And that's how we are. We, by human nature, we end up magnifying everything and, and making the laws and rules and regulations and the stringent requirements even worse than, than what, they, what they should be. I mean, it used to be just Ten Commandments. We can't even follow those. But then you get all the 
all the other things that they came up with that says, well, this is how you really keep the Sabbath. You can't do this and this and this and this and 500 other things. And that's human nature. And that's what Paul is having to deal with in the Galatian church. He's dealing with them just on the basis of human relations and human nature. Human nature says, follow rules and regulations and then you'll be a good Christian. Have you ever heard anything like that? Well, maybe not quite like that. But has anybody ever said to you, well, you know what you need to do? Is your need to read your Bible every day. Well, what does that mean? And I don't mean on your on your cell phone. I mean, you need to open the book and read a chapter every day. You ever heard that? Well, what's wrong with reading a whole book every day? Why a whole, Why just a chapter? Or you need to memorize. Or... You know, I, I don't know, what it, whatever it is that you've heard, it's probably just rules and regulations. Now, I'm not opposed to discipline, and being a disciple sometimes means discipline, but that the motive for that must come from within by the Holy Spirit, not from outside. It should come not from uh, rules that somebody writes out for me, like a diet, because as soon as somebody says, you can't eat donuts, guess what I want? Guess what I go do, especially if nobody's watching. Okay? Now, so Paul is talking to them as though they're now not even babies. He has to talk to them in terms of human relations. And so we're going to go through these verses in Galatians chapter 5. Um, and, and, uh, and analyze them. That means... Look at it as a whole, take it apart, look at the parts, see how they work together, and then put it back together to make a meaningful whole. That's what it means to analyze. Okay, some of you may be very unused to that term. We hear it all the time, but we don't know what it means. Well, when I was in my literature class, we learned how to analyze a poem. Okay, and you can't do that just by reading the words and thinking... This is a bunch. This is dumb. This is stupid. Okay, or even not reading it in the first place. So, by the way, uh, I have to confess. In the the passage for today in Galatians, I have to say that I stole one of Pastor Tim's verses from last week. Verse, uh, I, I stole verse, what is it, verse 6. It says this, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And I love that faith working through love. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by the works of the law. We walk by faith in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us to fill us and inspire us, to guide us into the truth. That's what gives us our, our rules for living. But it's not something written on tablets of stone. It's something that comes from within. Because you know what? You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We are, the word says we are a whole new creation in Christ. 
So don't expect to follow the rules the old way because that's what the Galatians are being told. Even though they're new creatures in Christ, they're being told to go back and do it the old way. And that is wrong. And Paul is just so upset about it. Why is Paul so upset? This is one of the most unhappy passages that you can find in any of Paul's letters. And he gets unhappy at times. He's upset at the Corinthians. But why is he so unhappy? Just imagine, if you will, how many of you are going to watch the soccer game this afternoon? What soccer game? Isn't there a soccer game on? Is the World Cup? Oh, that's a bunch of foreigners. We don't watch them. i got to tell you, I think soccer is the most boring game on TV that I've ever, I've ever watched. Now, I've gone to soccer games, and it's a whole lot more exciting. But on TV, you know, we went 90 minutes with the halftime and didn't see anything go in the net. And then we went another extended period, another half an hour, and nothing went in the net. So then you have a shoot-off thing. And I'm thinking, I got, come on, just tell me who won. I don't want to have to, you know, two hours of just kicking the ball down here, and then it goes back up here, and then it goes down here, then they go this, and then it goes over here, and then do this, and that. Okay, let's move on. Doesn't quite work like that, though, does it? Well, I don't know. I, I may watch. I, I don't know. <laughs> I may be taking a nap. Um, what is uh, what does it mean when he says faith working through love? This is how we're supposed to operate in the kingdom of God in terms of becoming changed into his image and being like him. It's not rules and regulations. It's not following the laws of Moses. And guess what? These... these uh, uh, I don't know where they were from, maybe Jerusalem or someplace. There were Jews who came in and said, you know what, it's okay that you, you follow Jesus, but i got news for you. You have to become a Jew first and follow the law of Moses before you can be saved. What? Well, what does this mean? Well, here's the Ten Commandments. And here's, uh, you know, all the, all the laws in the book of Leviticus about what you can eat and what you can't eat, what you can touch, what you can't touch, what makes you clean and unclean and so on. Oh, by the way, there's one big one. And you know what that is? It's called circumcision. Now, you come into a church of, filled with hunters and you tell them that they're going to be operated on and that's just really going to make make everybody happy, right? And yet, that's what was happening. These guys came in and says, guess what? You guys all have to be circumcised. These men were not Jews. They were not circumcised. They didn't get circumcised on the eighth day. And so, they had this to look forward to. Well, all right, all you guys, see you next next Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. We've got to start early. Come on! And so, and so, uh, and Paul is just really upset because you can imagine watching soccer on TV this afternoon. There are your kids. We're all gathered around. And some guy comes in and says, all right, you kids, line up over here against the wall. And you, dad, and you, mom, you stand over there. And don't even come over here because we're taking your kids. And we're going to take them and we're going to put them in uh, foster care 
And that means they're no longer going to be free, but they're going to be slaves. We're going to sell them into bondage. We're going to make sure that they do what we tell them to do to make us money so that we can be important. Now, you're just going to sit there while they take your kids off. I don't know about you, and I don't even own a gun, but I'm thinking I'm going to go find my kid's baseball bat. You're not going to take my kids, right? I hear an amen. Amen. Yeah, well, see, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and that's all I heard throughout the whole time was amen, amen. Can I hear an amen? Uh, My dad said amen all the time. Anyway, uh, i got to watch it. I can't keep getting off, you know. Um, So that's why the Apostle Paul is angry. He is so angry. He's angry at these guys, first of all, who are coming in and taking away his children. But you know what? He's also angry at the kids. Now, all you kids here, has your dad ever been angry with you? Yes, yes. Well, was it your fault? No, it was my brother's fault. It was his fault. Yeah, but you were, I don't care. It was his fault. I don't care. You're all, you're all going to be on suspension. I don't know, timeout or something. Uh, you know, timeout is not as bad as getting whipped, I'll tell you. Um, my dad used one of those paddles that you use with a, a string and a ball, and you go boom, 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 boom. <laughs> we got one of those, and I thought, oh, wow, we're going to have a toy. He says, nope, and he tears the thing off. and says, this is going to be what you're going to get. Well, that... <laughs> So Paul is ready to bring out the paddle, and that's what he's doing in this passage. He's given them, he's given a whipping here, okay? So this is the first verse, verse 7. Anybody know what a metaphor is? Raise your hand if you know what a metaphor is. Okay, some of you are in my class. No. <laughs> um, most... Most students coming in maybe know what a metaphor is, but they don't know how to recognize one. I'm not going to go necessarily into a a definition, but this passage has a metaphor in it, and it also has a rhetorical question. You probably know what a rhetorical question is, right? That's a question that you ask that everybody already knows the answer to, right? And so this is what he says. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So you were running well is the metaphor. What's the running part there? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen too many movies about life in Israel where they had a, a, uh, a running race or a, uh, a marathon. And yet Paul uses this kind of image because that's who he's dealing with. He's dealing with Gentile Christians who grew up in a Greek culture, and they have the Olympics. Okay? Now, I don't think Paul, who's a Pharisee, by the way, who followed the law very strictly, I don't think he grew up. You know, those guys, I shouldn't say this. this No, I'm not. You know, when they did their sports, they took all their clothes off. 
Did you know that? I mean, and yet, Paul's using a running image here so that they will understand it. Okay? They're Gentiles. They're, they're, they grew up in Greek culture. And he says, okay, I'm going I'm to explain it to you. This is like running a marathon. And you were doing such a great job. What happened? Who came in and, and, and stole you away? Who hindered you? Now, that's a rhetorical question because we already know who came in. It was these guys from Jerusalem or someplace who were coming in to set these Christians straight. Okay, I've got to hurry along here. Verse 8, he says, This argument did not come from him who called you. Well, this is just a simple statement. He's saying, all right, I'm going to lay out the facts here. The argument that you are, or the argument that you are following didn't come from Jesus. It didn't come from the Holy Spirit. So guess who it came from? It came from human beings who don't even know uh, the life of Christ at all. So this is a statement. It's an, it's an argument. And the false teachers are trying to speak for God, saying his call to freedom is really a call back into a legalism and bondage. And that's what legalism does. It puts us in bondage. Do you ever do a New Year's resolution? How many of you are still following your New Year's resolutions? See what I'm talking about? I don't see a single hand. Because sooner or later you get to the point where... Uh, I can't do it. Okay? So, Paul says, that's what is putting you into bondage. Now, here's a little, a little, uh, a little proverb. Okay? Do you recognize the Pillsbury Doughboy there? I don't know if you can see this or not. How many of you can read? See, this is why you sit up front, folks. There's the Pillsbury Doughboy in the doctrine saying... I'm afraid it's a yeast infection. Okay? And he, he's, this is the, the proverb, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. By the way, that word leaven means yeast. What happens? If you have a ball of dough and you put some yeast in it, what happens? And you know, that's what happens in the church. And it isn't necessarily the Judaizers coming in and trying to give us the gospel of legalism. Sometimes it's just gossip. And that's why Paul gets so upset at these other churches, because they've let gossip come in to divide the body. Where there's envying strife, there's confusion in every evil work. And we don't want that. So we've got to guard against that. Keep the yeast out. Okay? And so this is a little proverb that Paul is using. Again, this is natural human language. Then we get rebuke. The one who is disturbing will bear his judgment. Um, it isn't clear whether Paul actually even knows specifically who these people are or this person is. Uh, do you see that cartoon there? That is a cartoon of a man on his knees working on plumbing. Right? Any of you ever been confused working on plumbing? That picture is moi. That cartoon is me. Actually, it should be is I, but I'll go colloquial here. That picture is I. Okay? Because I've been working on plumbing all summer. 
And yesterday again, I, I came up to the point where I'm trying to put this shower door in, and I cannot figure out how these doors work, and the, and the stupid instructions are terrible. And they have these little tiny pictures that show you how it's supposed to go, and I can't see it. I, just, I can't read it. And I am just confused. I even went over to Lowe's again to see the, the thing in operation, and I took a picture of it, and I got home again, and I thought, oh, I'm not. I'm thinking about it in the night, and I, I don't know if this is right. So I may have to go back again, honey, after, and go to Lowe's again and look at it again. But if we are confused, it's because somebody has brought confusion into the body. Okay? Um, and it's the false teachers who have caused this confusion. And so Paul is, again, using a human analogy here to, to, to show them uh, what's wrong. Okay, if I teach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Evidently, what happened is that, by the way, how come I only get a half hour? (laughs) Well, I'm going to try. But the whole question here in this passage is circumcision. Now, Evidently, based on this, you have to read into it. You have to analyze it. What is he saying here? He says, if I teach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? This is another, in a way, of make, a way of making a statement that says, evidently, these people who came in and are teaching you are telling you that I teach circumcision. So you need to do what I say. And he's saying, that is flat out a lie. That is not true. I do not teach circumcision. Well, what did they use to base this? Probably because, and I don't know the chronology here, I didn't look at this, but uh, it may be because word got out that Paul had Timothy circumcised. You know who Timothy is? He's a Jewish mother, Gentile father, Greek father. And yet, when Paul took him in to, to talk to some Jews about becoming Christians, Paul says, you know, I'd love to take you in there, Timothy, but you can't go in there. They won't let you in there. You're unclean to them. So they won't even listen to you. So we're going to have to go through the operation. And Timothy says, whatever it takes. And you've got to admire this guy. You've got to admire this. And it's the same thing Paul was saying when, it talk, when he's talking about eating food sacrificed to idols. Any of you ever, ever had any food sacrificed to idols? It doesn't happen around here. But back in those days, the meat markets were filled with meat that had been used in a religious ceremony. Well, then the Christians were, were saying, well, should we eat this or not? It's been offered to Baal or something. And there were plenty of going around saying, no, you can't eat that. And then, yes, you can, but because we're free in Christ. And there was a big argument. And what does Paul say about this in Corinthians? He says, you know what? You're free. You're free. You can eat what you want. If what goes in the mouth doesn't corrupt you, it's what comes out that corrupts you, Jesus said. So you can go ahead and have this meat, and it's not going to bother you. What's the difference? It's whether or not you cause somebody else who believes that it's bad to stumble. And they're going to say, oh, I don't go to that church anymore because those people eat meat sacrificed to idols. Well, guess what we're going to do? We're not going to eat that meat anymore because that person is going to stumble. We don't want people stumbling just because I do something. I can free. I'm free. I can do anything I want. No, you can't. 
Because the law of love prevents that. It's faith which works through love. So, finally we get to the last one. Sarcasm. How many of you know what sarcasm is? <laughs> Some of you are good at it, right? Oh, yeah. You ever been sarcastic to your parents? There's something about the tweener years that just really develops this. And it's surprising because I get freshmen in college that they don't really understand irony. And then they're almost the same. I give them a passage to read, and it's ironic. But they say, oh, yeah, I agree with this. And I say, you got to be kidding. This is ironic. And they say, what does that mean? That means he's saying the opposite of what he means. This is a device that says, you know, somebody says, oh, yeah, what a lovely dress. You should wear that to the prom. Now, what, are, what am I really saying? Hey, that looks skanky. Or I don't know what the word is nowadays. I, I don't even know if that's a nice word or not. <laughs> the way you're laughing, it's not. So <laughs> you got to make allowances. I am a retread, you know, or over the hill. Uh, I used to have to ask my students all the time, what's the, what's the cool word now for this? And they tell me, uh, they roll their eyes and say, oh, don't even bother, professor. Anyway, um, this is sarcasm, and I never expected to read sarcasm in the Bible. And I'm not going to go into what the sarcasm is. He's saying the opposite, or he's exaggerating something, and he isn't meaning what he's saying, but he's still making a point with it. And what is he He's saying, like I said, I'm not going to get into it because we have a, a mixed audience here, little ones all the way up. Uh, he's probably referring or alluding to a barbaric ritual that actually took place in his day in Galatian pagan temples. The goddess Sybil, where the, the priests and so on actually went all the way when they were not just circumcising, they were doing the whole thing. Oh. Why don't they just do away with themselves? Now, every passage you read, the Bible you read, and you see a different kind of interpretation of this passage, but regardless, it's Paul being sarcastic. And so those are the devices Paul uses in this, in this passage to teach them because they have given up their God-given ability to, to relate and understand spiritually. They're only human again. They're only operating according to human principles. Now, what do we do with this? This is a wonderful way to end, right? Don't you want to go home on this? I'm not going to leave it. You've got to give me another couple minutes here because I want to read to you this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We'll just read the last part. But this is referring another allusion to the story in the Old Testament where Moses came down from the mountain and he has the tablets. You know, I don't know how he carried those. They're a big guy, I guess, big tablets of stone. And he's carrying down the mountain and his face is shining. Right? His face is glorious. He's seeing God, at least part of God. And he is just so filled with transcendent glory. 
The word glory means something that I couldn't explain to you in a half an hour. But it's the word glory means glorious. It means bright, shining. It means God being who he is just because he's God. It means God creating and it's God healing. It's God doing all these things just because he's the God of love. That's what glory is. Glory. And he's come down from the mountain and he is reflecting that glory. His face is so shining that if people look at him, they're going to go blind. So what does he do? He wears a veil over his head. Now, I have not worn a veil in my life. Any of you worn a veil? Come on, ladies. Some of you have. I know you have. I had to lift one up to get a big kiss. So I know what a veil is. But this veil was so opaque that the glory didn't come out. So that they could still look at him and say, hey, guys, it's me. It's Moses. I know that I got this veil on, but it's me. See these tablets? These are what you have to follow now. And Paul is saying in this passage that um, when he came down the mountain, he had this veil on. But notice what it says. But we all, we all, with unveiled face, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. And I'd love to be able to, to speak on this, just this one verse for a whole hour. And if, you're, if you have time, well, no, we'll, <laughs> we'll do that some other time. But what is he saying here? I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror in the morning and it's fluorescent, I am not happy with what I see. Now, some of you, you're at that age where you love what you see regardless. Some narcissistic people are like that. But I, I've, I've learned that over the years that my face doesn't look as young as it used to. And I see gray hairs now, and I see less hair now, and I see wrinkles now, and I see, you know, my wife has one of those mirrors that magnifies, and I look in that, and I'm ooh, look at ooh. I'm scratching things off, and, and there's just something horrible about that. And so when Pastor Tim said a couple of weeks ago that, that mirrors do not lie, I believe them. But do you see Mickey in this picture? That's Mickey in a distorted mirror. And it's like those mirrors down at Restless Oaks Restaurant or at the Fun Fair or whatever that make you look really skinny or really fat or whatever. Mirrors do lie. And so when we look in the mirror, I don't know about you, I see myself and I don't like what I see. But what are we supposed to see? What does it say we're supposed to see? When you look in the mirror with unveiled face, beholding, that means looking at in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. How many of you, when you look in the mirror in the morning, see Jesus? How many of you see the glory of the Lord? That's, that's, that's tough. Because I see wrinkles and an old man who is a retread. And I'm thinking, you know, this tells me I'm supposed to look in the mirror and see Jesus. And this shows you what God's plan is for your transformation. Now, what is transformation? See that word? 
That's the word, Greek word metamorphosis. You know what metamorphosis is? Any biologists here? I love butterflies when I was growing up. I, I used to collect the caterpillars and watch them change into a, into a cocoon and then come out and just be a glorious monarch butterfly or a swallowtail butterfly. I love that. And that's what we're supposed to become is a butterfly. You're supposed to be a butterfly. When you look in the mirror, you're supposed to see that butterfly, not some ugly old worm. Because that's what we used to be. We're supposed to be changed and transformed and metamorphosized into his image. And how does that happen? Faith, which works by love. But it's also in seeing Jesus in ourselves and in each other. See, I see some of you, and I see Jesus in you. See, I've known art for 20 years. I see Jesus in art. And when I see Jesus in you and I see Jesus in me, that suddenly changes who I am inside and I become that person. I become like Jesus. I'm changed. Okay, let's pray. Our Father, change us into your image. We, we, we seek you. We want to see you, Lord. We want to be changed. We want to be metamorphosized. Lord, I pray for Tim, that you would, you would guard his life and heart in the ministry up there with these young people that you also share with the, the others in his group. Just protect them and, and help them through the week as they work with these young people. But, Lord, as we go forth, we ask that you be our constant source of inspiration and, and, and power for transformation. It's not by works. It's by vision, seeing the glory of the Lord in the mirror. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chuck, for taking us through Galatians 5. Let's stand together and finish our time.